Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans Podcast. This is Clint Edwards, your host today. Thank you for joining me. I am sorry about how long it's taken me to put this next episode out. I I would say I've just been busy, but actually the real choke point in this operation has been the study for this episode. I've been fortunate to come across two different articles uh, or papers written by Dr. Agnes McKinnick. And, he, I mean, you would anglicize that as Angus McKenzie, but when he puts his name on a paper that he's written, he actually uses the Gaelic in it. And so I feel like out of respect for him, I probably ought to try to follow his lead. I actually emailed him because I wanted to make sure I was get, getting it close to right. And I said, hey, I think this is how you pronounce it. And I spelled it on the email phonetically, how I think it was pronounced. And he was very gracious to respond. He responded very promptly, very kind about it, said, hey, that's pretty close. You're, that'll be good enough. And so I'm just going to roll with it. And yes, McKinnick. And I'm just, I probably just refer to him as Dr. McKinnick or McKinnick and not use the first name as much. In case you're wondering, when you take Angus and put it in, it in its original Gallic spelling and pronunciation, the spelling of it is A-O-N-G-H-A-S. Anyway, we're pretty close. He's got a couple of papers that I'm going to be referring to, one more than the other. I'll start with the least first and go to the most that I'll refer to. The least one would be entitled Kingis Rabelis to Cudichinri. Clan Chinich, the emergence of a kindred, 1475 through 1514. So that one's just on the emergence of the Mackenzie clan, and there he uses the, the Gallic form of it, Clan Chinich. The Kingis Rabelis, I'm just going off of a, lit, a passing familiarity with Latin. Re, rebels of the king, or rebels against the king, to Cudich Henri. I don't know what the Cudich means, but the Henri, Ri is, is Gallic for king. So from rebel, rebels against the king to the king's men, or somebody who's in favor of the king, I'm, I'm taking a shot at it. And that's without looking that up. Probably a really easy Google search would work, but I really had not planned on going into that much detail. Once again, this is just kind of a train of thought, stream of conscious kind of a podcast. The second source that I'm referring to from Dr. McKinnick is entitled Shield Torkel and their Lord- Lordship in the 16th Century, which is in a bigger work, part of a bigger work called Crossing the Minch, Exploring the Links Between Sky and the Outer Hebrides. So, oh, and by the way, Dr. McKinnick is a researcher at the University of Glasgow. I actually had already recorded this whole episode, and I just didn't think I did a good job. I was repeating myself a lot, just kind of scatterbrained on it. I mean, I knew what I wanted to talk about, but I thought, nah, I'd rather have everybody wait at the expense of listeners than put out what I felt like would be a second-rate product. Now, as far as the quality of this, of this particular episode... I think, I think you'll like it, especially if you have any connection to the McLeods, specifically the McLeods of Lewis or Shield Torkel, and, and possibly if you have any links to the Mackenzies as well as they play into the picture here. Now, the title of the podcast is What Happened to the McLeods of Lewis? Because the McLeods of Lewis, in the words of Dr. McKinnick, I'm going to go back to a quote directly from his paper, 
from the the Shield Torkel paper paper. He says that Shield Torkel, the MacLeods of Lewis, by the way I'm quoting, who, with the exception of cadets such as Rossi and Ascent, were eradicated as a cohesive force by the opening decade of the seventeenth century. So that is that is a, a kind of an interesting statement. So in this podcast, or in this episode rather, what I want to be doing is looking at why that happened or how that happened to the McLeods of Lewis. And I don't know if we'll ever be able to uncover the real why down to the core of it, but we'll be able to look at some of the factors that played into it. And I, I think that's my goal here. Now, I don't pretend to come at this this subject from a position of omniscience, kind of like all of the other pod, podcast episodes I've ever done or anything else I've ever done. I, I'm not claiming to to know all there is to know about the subject. So I guess what I'm trying to get to with this episode would be to maybe start a conversation or open up and sh- maybe possibly share some things that you weren't aware of already, M- maybe give you a little bit more than what you would find on a simple Google search and maybe a Wikipedia article. But maybe there's some open ends in here, and I'll try to be mindful of when we're talking about something that is unsettled, or there is a gap in my knowledge, and maybe I'll pass that on to you as a listener. Here's a very specific point that if you wanted to, you could go into and research, especially if you had a personal interest in the topic. Okay, so let's talk about the origin of the McLeods before we get too far into what happened to the McLeods of Lewis. The McLeods, as a clan were divided into two branches. Now, both of them claim descent from their their eponym is Laod, which is a very Scandinavian name. And if you're looking at where they come from in the Outer Hebrides, well, that's, that's split, actually. So for those of you who don't have a map of Scotland imprinted in your mind, if you look off of the west coast of Scotland, there's a series of islands there. Now, there's the the westernmost isles go in a kind of a general arc and they kind of look like they form a shield to the islands between this chain and the mainland of Scotland so this shield of islands with the biggest island at the at the north and then getting subsequently smaller as you go farther south that's referred to as the outer hebrides then you have isles islands that are closer to the mainland of Scotland, and those are called the Inner Hebrides. Now, the northernmost of the Inner Hebrides, and the and the I guess the northernmost main island would be the Isle of Skye. And Skye has a very, very thick air of romance about it. You have songs about it. You have I think the Beatles, didn't they? Or maybe that was one of the other isles. There's a there's a song by the Beatles that has to do with one of the Hebrides. You Beatles fans, you'll know which one it is right off the top of your head. I have, I would not consider myself a Beatles aficionado. I'm familiar with a few of their songs. Maybe I just went down a couple cool points in some of your books, and I'll try to, I'll try to choke that down and live with it. So, the Isle of Skye, very romantic. There's a lot of really cool pictures, really dramatic scenery, and there's some really interesting history there. So... You had this Laod, who supposedly lived in the 1200s and was a younger son of Olaf. I've seen two different things about Olaf, whether he was the king of man and the isles or the brother of the last king of man and the isles. And so he has, Olaf has a son named Laod, 
and then the and we'll get we'll get to farther after Laod in a second. But I just want to talk about Laod for right now. Laod, L-E-O-D, and I don't know if that that's the original Scandinavian spelling of it. He may have been mentioned in the Icelandic sagas. I don't know. And neither do the neither do the experts really. The scholars who've written on this. There's differing opinions on who Laod was, and was he really the son of Olaf? We, it's there's there's arguments on this. So, and I'm not here to take a side or to dive into those two issues. That's not the point of this episode. I'm just letting you know that it is not a settled matter who this Laod was, or who was his, who is, what his ancestry was, what his lineage was. There's dispute on that, and another thing that there's dispute on is who his whose offspring Tormod and Torkil were. Because the MacLeods branch very early on into two separate divisions of this family. So on the one hand, the ones we'll be more concerned with today are the MacLeods of Lewis, and they adopt the name Sheel Torkil, or the, the seed or, or offspring descendants of Torkil. And then on the, the other branch is the Sheel Tormod, or the descendants of Tormod, who become the MacLeods of Harris and Dunvegan. Now, the disagreement here, and as I've looked at different sources, you know, they have you have the Collins clan and family, Collins Scottish clan and family encyclopedia, and that one says that they're that the the Tormod and Torkil were two brothers who are the sons of Laod. But other sources refute that and say that Torquil was actually the grandson of Tormid, and so the, the senior line would be, who say that they're the MacLeods of Tormid, and they are those so that the MacLeods of Harrison Dunvegan would be the senior line of the MacLeods, and the Shield Torquil, who are descended from his grandson, but not the senior grandson, I guess. I don't know. I didn't really see a lot of conclusive, no-kidding, irrefutable, you can't argue with this, we're going to take it and go with it. Um, possibly, and I, maybe I could have done this before I did the episode, but I'll leave it to you guys, you could probably go to the respective official clan societies and find out what, which of these options the actual official clan position embraces. Anyway, I'm just there, there it is, there's the arguments, there's the different stuff I saw while I was looking this up. So, and as you can tell, I didn't only get everything that I have for this from Dr. McKinnick. Like I said, I, I own a copy of the Collins Scottish Clan and Family Encyclopedia. I looked in there a little bit, I just and I looked at some Scottish Clan websites online, just ones that, you know, ones that give general, really brief Scottish Clan histories. And so, I don't know, I just, I saw different things in different places, and just know that that's what it is. So I don't know if they were brothers or if they were grandfather, grandson, but there you have it. Now, uh, also, I'm going to get into a little geography because Dr. McKenna gets into geography and just tell you about the really powerful position that the MacLeods of Lewis held within the Outer Hebrides. So, uh, during the 1500s is the time that we're going to really focus here on. The first half of the 1500s, you get this chief of the MacLeods of Lewis, of Sheel Torkil, whose name is Rory. Now keep in mind, even though they have this Scandinavian element to their lineage and their heritage, these these people are thoroughly Gallicized and have been for hundreds of years by this point. So you have Rory, 
and he's a chief, and his possessions by this time in history include Lewis, the Isle of Lewis. Now, if you're looking at this, there's a body of water, and it has the Isle of Lewis on the west of it. To the south, you have the Isle of Skye, and on the east, you have the Scottish mainland, and it's open on the north. This, this body of water is called the North Minch, and the North Minch was renowned for its fisheries, how, how rich it was as, as a fishing ground. And in fact, lowland people from Fife, so more southeast Scotland, they were envious of these fishing waters, and they would go up there to fish and complain that the MacLeods charged too heavily for the fishing rights there, which Dr. McKinnick points out that they were very much within their rights to charge for this. So you have, see, there, there's, whenever you are in possession of something that rich, people, you're kind of a target, and you have a target painted on your back. Now, when I say they're in possession of this, they didn't necessarily own the water, but the McLeods of Harris controlled the Isle of Lewis, you know, they're the McLeods of Lewis, with their seat being near Stornoway, which is the principal community within this island. So they, they own Isle of Lewis, and then they have significant properties on that west coast of Scotland that forms the east side of the North Minch. All right, and then they also have this the Isle of Rossi, which is in this vicinity. So they've got they have key positions kind of surrounding this body of water. So if you're going to be fishing there and you need to put to shore to work on nets or whatever business fishermen have on land, repair boats, whatever it would be, then you're going to be charged to be there. And like I said, Dr. McKenna point is careful to highlight that the McLeods were in their rights to charge this. And so the Lowlanders complained that it was too much, and I don't really know the exact amount and whether that was too much or too little or right at market value. I have no idea. But, we, you know, we always complain about how much people are charging this stuff. It doesn't matter what it is, especially those of us who are on a, on a tight budget. Some, Maybe some of you have fairly affluent people, and you just go out there and you pay what it says, and it doesn't bother you, and you just do whatever you have to do. To a lot of us... It matters a ton how people how much people are charging for us, and especially if you have an idea of what the market is, you'll complain about it if you think it's too high. Anyway, so that's this territory. That's it's very important. Now, like I said, this wasn't just lowland fishermen that were eyeing this fishing grounds with with a greedy eye. There were there were many powerful people in Scotland that had had their eye on this territory. To include the Campbells of Argyle, they were involved and cared about who was going to possess and have be involved in there. The Macleans of Dewart were, as were the Mackenzies, and probably no one more so than the Mackenzies. Now let me just give you a, a brief note about the Mackenzies. The Mackenzies were very similar to the Macleods in one respect, and that is, if you go back to their origin, it's disputed where they actually come from. Some of the actual Mackenzie histories that come from the 1600s, they claim that the ancestor of all the Mackenzies was a Colin Fitzgerald who came from Ireland and won favor of Alexander III because he sided against, with Alexander III against rebels and was rewarded with land in Kintail and married, and that this line marries into the Bissets who are very powerful in this area 
and uh, we could talk more about the Bissets. That's an interesting family there. And anyway, so the the chiefs of the Mackenzies are descended from this Colin Fitzgerald. That viewpoint is contested. Just like who Laod really was is contested. Colin Fitzgerald and whether he was even the ancestor of the Mackenzies, that is a contested detail in their history. In fact, no less a, a scholar is, I think it's, I'm trying to get all the letters right in my head, W.D.H. Seller, S-E-L-L-A-R. He disagrees and does not believe in the Geraldine ancestry of the Mackenzies. So just so you know that there's some disagreement out there. And I don't really know if it's right or wrong. It seems like Dr. McKinnick, I don't know if he comes right out and says it, but the, the feel of the paper, it doesn't seem like he's completely on board. Now keep in mind, McKinnick is the Gallic form of McKenzie. And so these are his people that he's writing about. And it's, and it's they could only be so fortunate as to have this good of a scholar writing their, and, and commenting and researching on their history. If only every clan had somebody who was a, an accomplished scholar to, to research their clan history, that would be awesome. But we, they don't, all the clans do not have that. In fact, I would say most of them don't have somebody to that level that's, that's operating in those kind of circles these days. So the Mackenzies, they do have their eye on this territory, which leads us into what happens here in the, in the 1500s with the McLeods of Lewis. So up until this point, the McLeods of Lewis have been stalwart adherents to the Lords of the Isles, faithful all day long. And when they lose, when the McDonald's lose that title and and that position in 1493 is when the Scottish king pulls that back. And, and that's kind of an interesting story because there are some interesting things going on behind the scenes. The, the Lord of the Isles, the MacDonald Lord of the Isles, and the, the uh, I think is the, the Douglas, Earl of Douglas, one of the more, uh, one of the more powerful men in Scotland. They were working behind the scenes and making deals with the English, with the English king, Henry, which would have been, I think, Henry VIII at this time. Anyway, they're, they were caught in their plot and their secret alliance with the English king against the Scottish king and talking about how they're going to divide up Scotland between the three of them. And, and anyway, so he pulls the, that was enough. That was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. The McDonald's have not been playing along very good, so he pulls the Lordship of the Isles from him. The McLeods of Lewis are engaged in these subsequent efforts on the part of the McDonald's to get that crown back. In the Stuart, the Stuart dynasty here, and I'm, I'm not singling one out because it happens over subsequent years, they do make efforts to reach out and bring the McLeods of Lewis within their circle. Now, I'm not saying that it was done completely out of benevolence, but the, the effort there is made. And still, Rory McLeod has these very strong anti-monarch tendencies for whatever reason. And, and we could probably go deeper into that subject, but the point is that they've, they've chosen to, you know, they're, they're in one of the most remote, remote parts of Scotland. And I, I believe there's some resentment on their part, of for people in a what is a completely culturally an alien position in Edinburgh, and some of their policies toward 
the island chiefs. I, I think that as I, the more I study this, I can see this wasn't an inevitable course that history had to take. I think that if there had been better efforts on both parts to be on the same team, I think it would have drastically changed history. We would not have had a Culloden and a complete and utter smashing of the Highland culture to include the speaking of Gaelic, the clan system and all that. And and I don't know how that would look today and I haven't gone too far down that trail in my head, but it's just interesting that the complete antipathy toward the crown on, on the part of some of these island chiefs to include Rory McLeod. All right, so as we move into the 1500s, Rory's family is a really interesting situation. So Rory first marries a Mackenzie, has a son he names Torkel, and he is fostered by the Mackenzies. You have to understand the system of fosterage that occurs in these in, in the highlands, but actually goes back a long ways in in I, I believe it's it's just going on in Scotland, it's going on in Ireland and this for for the Celts people from this Celtic heritage, this was a practice. And there's fosterage is where either the chief's family or or another family, they would send their son to, be, to live with another family. So sometimes the chief of a clan would send his son to be fostered or raised by uh, another family within the clan, possibly even one of a lower social status. Or another option they had was to send their son to be raised by another somebody in another clan. And there's a lot of things that accomplish here, but one of the biggest ones was the tie that that would bind between these two, especially if this son that's being fostered. And it wasn't always necessarily the chief's son, but let's say that it was. The chief's son, let's say that in this case, the chief of the McLeods sends his son Torkel to be fostered by the Mackenzies. When a son was raised in this other clan, and especially if that, his upbringing was a good one and he had a good experience there, he didn't just grow up hating his parents, if his, if his experience was good and he loves these, these people who raised him, like, like, like a lot of us do, then he comes back to take his spot within his, his original clan with this deep affection in his heart toward the clan that raised him and, the, and specifically the people that raised him there. And so you see this tie bind there. This did not happen between the McLeods and the Mackenzies. I think that Rory McLeod, as, as Torkel is raised up, he sees in his his position, he just all, I think all he sees is Mackenzie ambition and, and covetousness for his title and his position of power around the North Minch. And so he, what he ends up doing is he, he remarries a Stuart, Barbara Stewart. Her father was a cousin of the king. Well, so part of this that we're looking at, not a king, but we're looking at Mary, Queen of Scots during a certain time period here, but she's a cousin of the, the Stuart monarchs. She's in tight with that family. And so, wow, what an opportunity. And so he has another son by her, her who he also names Torkel. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like he doesn't acknowledge the first Torkel, which he doesn't. The first Torkel, who should have been his heir, he, he kicks to the curb and he says, okay, my next this next Torkel, my do-over, is going to be the son, this Torkel that I've had by Barbara Stewart. And he's named it Torkel the Heir or Torkel Ira. I, I don't, it's O-I-R-G-H-E. I'm 
really struggling on the pronunciation, but it's it translates as Torkel the Air. Maybe that's just the way I'll, I'll say it from now on because I can't, I don't really know how to pronounce that word. Anyway, so this, this is working out fine until Torkel the Air dies at sea. Okay, well, where do we go from here? Well, and I, I, it was unclear to me exactly how this played out. And once again, I'm not coming at this subject from a position where I say, hey, look, I know everything about this. I've studied up on this. I've read what I've had. There's still some things that are unclear to me. And I'll try to be very straightforward about what's unclear and what's what I've got straight in my head. It's unclear exactly how the wife thinks happens here. And even in McKinnick's paper, there's footnotes that says, hey, at this certain date and time, Barbara Stewart... McLeod is referring to herself as the Lady of Lewis, and so she's still alive. And anyway, so she seems to have survived. And so I don't, I'm not, I'm unclear about how we get this next wife. But Torkel the heir dies at sea. Rory remarries, so his third wife, a daughter of McLean of Duart. So keep in mind the McLeans, and they're a pretty big deal in the Isles of Scotland. And they, they were from the Isle of Mull, which is in the Inner Hebrides. It's south of Skye. Anyway, he marries the McLean of Duart's daughter. And guess what he names this third son? You guessed it, Torkel. And I don't know if the, the baby or the, the child developed um, as, he, as he, his physical features develop, if he took on a swarthy complexion, if he's got maybe a little bit darker skin by swarthy I don't mean that as as denigrating as at all just darker you know like dark brown eyes dark dark hair maybe maybe even a not quite as fair skinned as as a lot of people in that part of the world are and were and so because of this this I I think it's a physical description they call him torkel do which is dark torkel or black torkel sometimes that do which means dark or black can ref- it, it can be a character description it's not a physical description which is interesting if that's a character description why you'd be referred to as the black one but I, I'm not really sure which one it is in this case but the third this third Torkel his his do over do over is named Torkel do and this is the one that he it, it, it seems just like he's he's just bound and determined that this oldest son who's who will he goes by Torkel Kononach and so he's the one that's raised by the Mackenzies, who under very normal circumstances really would be the heir, but Rory is bound and determined that he will not take over his lordship. And I just don't know if it's because he's bracing against the Mackenzies or what it is that he hates so much about this idea of this oldest son taking over, but he, he's not having it. And so he, he has two other sons named, named Torkel, and Torkel Dew, actually, he grows up and makes, and he competes against, and sometimes an out-and-out con, out out conflict against the Mackenzies for the lordship, this this North Minch lordship that is the title of this MacLeods of Lewis or Shield Torkel. Anyway, so you got these sons that are f- fighting against each other, Torkel Kononach versus Torkel Dew. And they're, they're each backed. Torkel Kononach is backed by the Mackenzies, who are vastly powerful as we move into the 1600s. They become one of, you know, I, I've talked in times past about how powerful the Campbells were. 
and and especially as you move in you're in the, into the 1500s we really see that them shoot up well we're also seeing something similar the closer we get to the 1600s and then pushing into the 1600s the mckenzies are huge if you look at a clan map and I, I understand that the clan maps are only relevant to a certain time period in Scottish history. And I, the one that I have is, I don't have it in front of me, or I tell you like the actual specifics from the, you know, which exactly one it is. But it, it shows clan territories and it shows, so it's not just, so a lot of the clan maps have the, the name. This is a blank map of Scotland and instead of place names. It has clan names stamped all over the map. But it really doesn't show any kind of boundaries. The, the one I have actually has clan boundaries in different colors. And if you look at, so it represents, I think, the latter quarter of the 1500s. The Mackenzie Territory is vast. It is a huge part of this. So if, you're, if you know anything about a map of Scotland, once again, I'm asking you to have a map of Scotland burn in your brain or have looking at one while we are talking about this. It sure would be helpful. So you find Inverness. The, the Mackenzies, who are originally a Kintail Western, Western Seaboard clan, they eventually gain lands closer to Inverness and move their center there. At, I believe that was out of, they were out of Strathpeffer. That was just, just a little bit to the west of Inverness. But their territory is just this huge, huge chunk of, I think it's, it's Wester Ross is the, the the region that that we're in anyway it's, it probably doesn't go exactly along those lines of what are today the scotland's political boundaries but it's a big it's a big chunk of land i guess this is what i'm just trying to communicate and i'm just kind of rambling a little bit so forgive me it's huge the mackenzies are powerful and their their guy is torkel Conanach, and they're backing him and then the mcleans of course are backing their guy who's torkel do and they're interested in having influence in this area this is it just seems like in this time period a very coveted area okay so you got infighting with within the clan and it's not like the mcdonald infighting where it was the different branches of the clan that have become mighty clans in their own right so you have the mcdonald's of isla were the lords of the isles but then you had and they were clan donald south then you had clan donald clan donald north who are the mcdonald's of slate or clan ushton and they are they become a big deal you have the McKeans of Ardnamurchan, who are a branch of the McDonald's, who are powerful up until a certain point. And you have these different, and that's not all of them, but that's just a few of them. And they, they're feuding with each other and fighting, and especially through the 1500s after this, after the lordship is abolished. And they go, they go into the latter 1500s, early 1600s, not incredibly united. In fact, the McDonald's of Clan Ranald become cadets or not cadets necessarily but vassals would be a better word of the Mackenzies, the the earls of seaforth and so anyway it's 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 a little bit different infighting the mcleod infighting is infighting within the immediate family of the chief one way or the other infighting never helps the strength of a clan ever and this is no exception to that Okay, now another thing that was that the McLeods are struggling with. So they get to the McLeods get to a position with the king. James the 6th, when he comes along, 
he makes a vigorous, and he's in in so doing, he's just keeping up the tradition of his father and grandfather, a vigorous effort at trying to rein in the power of these, well, for lack of a less redundant word, very powerful chiefs and lords in Scotland. Specifically, he's looking at the highlands and borders. So he, the, the legal aspect of it is kind of foggy for me, but it looks like he revokes the lordship in Lewis and gives the fishing rights to a group. He, he, he backs a group. That's uh, a private venture, but it's got the crown backing, and it becomes the, the group's name is the Fife Adventurers. And they're a group of people who've had their eyes on the North Minch and it's rich fishing. And so what he tries to do is get them established in a colony up in the Isle of Lewis, specifically Stornoway. Now keep in mind, this is a plantation, right? Do we see other plantations going on at this time period? In my head, it's just an extension of what's going on in Ireland. Now the, the Irish, the English plantations in Ireland did not start with King James, but he he was a vigorous endorser of the Ulster plantation. And there were other plantations. The Ulster plantation is the one we hear the most about in the north of Ireland, but there were other plantations from earlier time periods in in the hist in history. And and then I see this as just an extension of that. And now so the Fife adventurers they go up and they're trying to establish a colony there and so they can fish and have their run of the fishing and make tons of money off of what was a McLeod controlled thing. The McLeods resist. And I I didn't find any there probably were violent conflicts between the McLeod natives of the Isle of Lewis and their adherents to that to that kin group and the Fife Adventurers. The Fife Adventure. I don't know, so I don't know every engagement that took place. I don't know how the, the exact shape of the resistance. I just know that the McLeods resisted and the Fife Adventurers lost. They had, they ended up packing up and leaving after a few years. It did not work out. But the thing that really was that the McLeods were able to withstand the Fife Adventurers, but right after this, what the Fife Adventurers had legal title to, the Mackenzies end up buying. Now, by this time, the Mackenzies have already acquired the McLeod holdings on the west coast of Scotland. And now they're going for the whole thing, and they get it. They buy the rights, they buy, and then basically they own all of the McLeod territory on the Scottish mainland on the west coast and they eventually come into possession of the Isle of Lewis itself. Now here's where it comes to more questions on my part and things I don't know and I'm going to ask you the questions and I'm going to maybe if you have a personal interest in this I'm going to set you up for take it from here and run with it and see if you can find out what the deal is. Okay so going back to McKinnick's going back to Dr. McKinnick's comment here. Sheil Torkel, the McLeods of Lewis, who with the exception of cadets such as Rossi and Ascent, were eradicated as a cohesive force by the opening decade of the 17th century. Okay. So, my question is why? Why were they eradicated as a cohesive force? 
because there were other clans. So basic, so first of all, we have different branches of the McLeods of Lewis. You have the McLeods on Rossi at Brochel Castle, which the ruins of it are... You should... Brochel Castle, B-R-O-C-H-E-L. Look that up on a Google image search. It has It's a pretty wild-looking ruin. It's just perched up on the top of this rock. It just kind of stands... I don't know. It's, it's something you would see out of a fantasy novel, I think. And then you have the McLeods of Ascent with their castle at Ardvrek on, there's a, I think it's Loch Ascent. I, I, anyway, it's right on a, a loch. Anyway, these two branches of the McLeods of Lewis continue to survive on. And like, I, like even that quote I read to you from Dr. McKinnick, they, they, they continue to exist. So why do the other McLeods on the Isle of Lewis, why do they cease to exist as a coherent force or a cohesive force? When these other branches survive, and and there's other examples, like I mentioned, of the McDonalds of Clan Rannell, who their territory they they be, they hold their territory rather than holding it straight from the Lords of the Isles, which don't exist anymore, or holding it with a crown charter. So they're so the crown is the ones who they they obtain their rights to the land from. But they continue as a as an effective group. Why do the McLeods of Lewis just kind of vanish at this point? So that's I'm that's and I'm leaving you with a question. So I'm sorry if that's unsettling, and you're just like, well, you can't do that. You know, that's that's all I got. I've got the more I research, the more questions I have, and the more I want to dive into things and study it a little bit more. So that's that's where I'm going to leave you with the McLeods of Lewis. Their their kinsmen, the other branch of the McLeods, Shield Tormod, or the McLeods of Harris and Dunvegan, whose chief is styled McLeod of McLeod, that's the senior branch here, they push on, and they continue to be a force to be reckoned with in the Isles. Speaking of forces to be reckoned with, one thing that Dr. McKinnick later in his paper on Shield Torkel mentions, he talks about, and he's going back to a source, a study that was done by, I think, an Englishman, that they're trying to assess the fighting strength of the Highlands, breaking it down by the different chieftains. And what was the, uh, it actually gave, and I don't have this right in front of me because I just kind of thought about sharing it with you off the top of my head because I think it's interesting. He actually gives the fighting strength of the McLeods of, of Lewis. I can't find the, I did find a couple of other interesting quotes. The North Minch is one of, is quote, one of the, richest fisheries in Europe. Even allowing for little exaggeration, this description was probably not far too far off the mark. This cross minch landholding meant that Shield Torkel effectively controlled the shores of the entire North Minch Basin and the resources in and around this area. So that's that's maybe another you can see why people want this. And he then Dr. McKinnick also quotes Stephen Boardman, who I've I believe I've quoted on this show before and says that, quote, fisheries, the importance of the fisheries as an economic underpinning of Campbell lordship in Argyle in the 15th and 16th centuries, unquote. So you can see that the fisheries are a big deal to the the different competing powers within Scotland. And so this was a reason you can see why so many people had their eye on the North Minch. I'm going to keep on scrolling and see if I can just, if it takes me too long, I'm not going to worry about it. Um, I don't, I don't see it. It's, it's in here somewhere, but I didn't highlight it. So I'm sorry, but it was, it was north of the, 
It was over a thousand people. It was oh, now when I say a thousand people, I mean this is a thousand fighting men that the McLeod of Lewis can call to the field of battle. That was pretty good. So, so they were at one time very powerful. Held this North Minch fishing area and the resources around it, and this was just sought after by so many people. And you can see that in the different parties who are backing the different sons of Rory McLeod, the different. Torkels and everybody wanting their their leg in this area, but it is the Mackenzies who prevail and come to be the owners of all of this territory that was once McLeod of Lewis territory. And so there I go. There's there's how it went for for the McLeods of Lewis. Now, like I said, certain branches of the McLeods of Lewis themselves, the branches of Rossi and Ascent, they they move forward and continue as a as entities. But the McLeods of Lewis on Lewis are. I don't know what happens to them. I don't, I don't, they, they don't just disappear and fade into history, but definitely that power with that position of lordship within the Isle of Lewis, it's, it's gone. And these people, as a like, like Dr. McKinnick said, as a cohesive unit, are, they're, they're done for after this. And, and why did that happen with them and not with other groups who were, whose territory was also ultimately owned by McKenzie's? I don't know. I don't know why that was, but they they probably did contribute to the whole Galaglass movement down in in Ireland. Which, if you want more information on that, I've given you given you things. Oh, I found the manpower one. If those areas were added, the manpower available to McLeod may well have come to over thirteen hundred. So that comes right out of Dr. McKinnick's paper. There you have there. There's the story of the McLeods of Lewis. There's some some information that's probably more than what you're going to find on a Wikipedia article, but probably less than you wanted, and some questions left unanswered. So, you know what? That's the story of research. That's how it goes. All right, before I wrap up today, I want to give some shout-outs to a few people who have reached out on the socials. So, the first one is the newest one. This happened just this morning. I got Harrison Walker who says, hello, big fan of the podcast, and I appreciate the work you're doing. If you have the time, I wonder if you could help verify something of my own last name. So, Harrison, I'm going to reach out to the whole community that's listening to this and and maybe have them chime in here. I have, he says, I have read a few sources saying Walker used to be the name MacNucator. Is this correct? I think it is somewhat related to McGregor, but cannot be sure. Many sites seem to be of dubious quality, which we have discussed that, Harrison. If you go back to the sources episodes, I don't know if you've read those already, but that's part of the point of this podcast. Anyway, back into his comments. Any information you could provide would be greatly appreciated. So, Harrison, I've seen that. I appreciate you reaching out. And I would say, and and maybe I'll... And I'll respond to this actually on Facebook in case it's, I don't know when you're going to actually hear this message, but I would say I would try to get those walkers in your family tree and see how far back you can get them and see to what part of Scotland they go. Because we get this idea that in Scotland, everybody was attached to a certain clan. Well, I don't know how many people in Scotland were named Donald, but probably not all of them were directly connected to clan Donald or the McDonald's of the Isles. So, yeah, I would, I would find out where your, your folks go back to. There's some, there's some names that are very specific to certain areas within Scotland, but then there's other names that can be found all over Scotland, and they're not necessarily, like Morrison would be another good example of that. 
there's different Morrisons throughout Scotland. They're not necessarily related to each other. Another example, that would be Macaulay. So you have the Macaulays of Arden Capel, but then you have other Macaulays out on the Hebrides. And anyway, they're, they're out there a ways. So I appreciate you reaching out, Harrison. Let's see, there was another one that I wanted to mention from messages to the Scottish clans. It was a gentleman by the name of Howard Grossnickel. And he and I actually had a very lengthy correspondence, so I'm not going to go into the whole thing. But we started talking about um, the different... We got into a sources conversation. We He starts off by... We start talking about different sources and, and the McGregor, Dr. McGregor, Martin McGregor's thesis. And then we had this very long conversation on, man, we, we got back into some... We got back into some subjects here on clear back into Dalriada. And, and we had a great conversation. Just wanted to say thank you to Mr. Grossnickel. There's another one I want to mention that I actually am pulling from the Apple Podcasts. I had somebody reach out to me named Jeff Trimble asking about the the Turnbull clan and ask if I could do some work on that. And I think I might because I think we've been in the Highlands for a long time. It's time to branch out again. You know that on this podcast, I'm... I'm not trying to make it the Highland clan show. I'm trying to make it the Scottish clan podcast. And so I, I have several episodes that are dealing with clans from, I've got everywhere from Ayrshire to the borders to the northeast of Scotland with the Gordon, Gordons and Fraser, or not Gordons and Forbes clans. I really am trying to hit a, a, broad, a broad approach all over because as my study has shown, it wasn't just the Highlands who existed in a kin-based culture. That happened all over. So I know this podcast went a little long. I was, I've just really tried to stick closer to that half, half hour mark, but now I'm at 45. So thank you for sticking with me. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you for letting me nerd out with you and talk about these things that we are so passionate about. I, I want to grow the audience. Once again, I haven't monetized it yet, so this is not making me any money. I just want as many people involved in this conversation as I can get. And I'm not trying to be altruistic here. I do plan in the future to try to monetize the podcast. I haven't decided on which method. There's several different ways to do that yet. But I just, I, I, in the meantime, I'm trying to get as many people involved in this conversation because as, as we pulled in more and more people, people have contributed. They said, hey, you might want to check this out. Hey, have you thought about doing something on this? And it's really been helpful to the conversation. And so I appreciate all of you who've done that. If you haven't done it, I encourage you to do it. You can go to, to the Scottish Clans Facebook page, which is on facebook.com forward slash Clans of Scotland. And you can make comments or message. You, you can message, not message, message Scottish Clans there, which is just me that's getting it. And I'll respond to you. I've tried to be pretty good about responding to people on Facebook. You can go to Apple Podcasts. You can leave me a review. And when you click all five stars, which is what Jeff Trimble from the Turnbull clan did, which I appreciate. And then he left me that message that I just shared with you asking about the Turnbull clan, Border Reavers. And so... That was that was one way that you can do this is to leave the review, but then you know, not just the stars, marking the stars, but the actual write something there and comment there. And so that actually directly contributes into the conversation that we have in the different episodes. Other ways you can do this, you can do it through Spotify. You can go on the Podbean app or podbean.com to do this. 
there's just there's several different avenues that we can connect on this and I encourage you to whichever way works best for you reach out share you know if you've got a, an answer you can fill in one of the gaps from this last episode or from a previous episode please do so if you've got a further question that will push the conversation forward I'd love to hear it and you know what else I'd love if we're trying to get as many people in on this conversation as we can I'd love for you to reach out to people that you think would like this and share it with them. I think all of these platforms that you can listen to it on, you can share. There's a there's a link to share. It's usually that square with an arrow pointing out the top, or an arrow that's kind of pointing back. And there's different things, but share it with somebody you think would like this. I bet you know somebody. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. I look forward to you joining me next time. And until then, have a great day, morning, evening. <laughs>